Folks, that should never get old for us. Of the, the last verse in, uh, in uh, uh, Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the stars, there are no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And there's this, that awe and the wonder that uh, Jesus would love us to the extent that he did to save us. I, I, uh, that's why we do communion, so we don't forget about that. Um, and I trust that uh, that will be foremost in our mind daily, the wonderful grace of God for us. I don't know whether you've ever experienced failing badly, um, doing something that is so embarrassing uh, as to be mortifying, uh, to bring great shame on yourself and perhaps others, perhaps your family, uh, your, your church or something else, making a bad decision or, or sinful choices and, and, and struggling to get over that, uh, the trouble facing people, trouble facing God with what you've done. And trouble being able to accept forgiveness and moving past that. Punishing yourself but still finding no relief. It could be something like an adulterous relationship. You broke your wedding vows. You you deeply wounded your spouse. You hurt your children. You brought shame on your family. You brought shame on the name of Christ. You brought economic stress to your family. And you haven't been able to get by that, what you've done. Maybe, it's, maybe it was an abortion in your past. And it seemed like a, a quick fix at the time uh, for a problem you had and stress that you have. And, and you've been living with this and overcome with guilt for years and years. Never getting over it. Perhaps it's some financial dealings you had with someone. Uh, where, where you were uh, less than... Excuse me, less than honest. You, you got money from someone uh, that you manipulated a person or circumstances. You had business dealings that were less than above board. Or maybe it was a will or a state and you imposed your will and somehow it did something wrong. Or maybe it's something like a, a drug or alcohol addiction that uh, bankrupted you or that hurt your family or or you got in an accident and hurt somebody terribly because you were driving drunk or even killed somebody. How do you deal with that kind of stuff? If, if you've had an experience where you've done something in the past that, that has so bothered you and you've been so broken about it, uh, then maybe there's a person in the Bible who had an experience that we could relate to that may be able to help us as we deal with the brokenness and the failures in our life and in our past. This man I'm talking about is a man who was hand-picked by Jesus to be one of his 12 apostles. A man who would lead in the beginning and the establishment of the church. Here was a man who was among the three selected, the inner circle of Jesus. Uh, somebody that would would be instrumental, as I said, in not only in the beginning of the church, but was there and exposed to things that some of the rest of the disciples weren't. Special healings. <clears throat> Even being able to see 
uh, Jesus glorified and transfigured before them with, with Moses and Elijah there, seeing his glory and his brilliance. Uh, all of these kind of experiences Peter had. But Peter had a major failure. Peter was given a leadership position with the apostles. His name was Simon. But Jesus said, I'm changing your name to Rocky. Well, kind of rock. It's a rock. Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Peter had these leadership gifts, a big, strong, gregarious individual. Uh, He had faith in Jesus, too. I mean, the disciples were all freaked out as as Jesus is, uh, is walking on water, coming out to them on the, on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. And uh, they're so freaked out. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to get out of the boat and follow you. And Jesus said, come on, Peter. Nobody else would th- have thought of that. He gets out of the boat, and, and Peter is walking on water. And he thinks, wow, this is so cool. And then he realizes, I'm walking on water. And he looks down and goes like a stone, and Jesus reaches out and grabs him and helps him. All these to say that Peter had faith, and Peter was a man of initiative, and he loved Jesus, and he left his fishing business uh, to follow Jesus. And as uh, he was deeply committed to him, and as Jesus is coming to the end of his life, as, as Jesus says, as the hour has now come, where he's going to go through the agony of the cross, um, his, and he's going to leave them and depart from them, um, that he'd have to endure terrible things, uh, Peter pledged his undying loyalty to Jesus. Peter pledged, Lord, whatever happens to you, I am with you. You need to know that. Peter says, I don't know about the rest of these guys, but as for me, Lord, you can count on me. I will be there for you. I will, I'm, I'm willing even to die for you, Lord. And Peter had the best of intentions. Then they go to the garden, and the soldiers come, and they arrest Jesus. And Peter, who talked a good talk, uh, took a stab at supporting Jesus, a literal stab with a dagger, and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. And Jesus says, no, Peter, put it away. You don't understand. We have to go through this. And Peter got scared. And Peter began to follow at a distance. And Peter goes as they take Jesus to the high priest's uh, courtyard. And there he's confronted by a girl who is controlling access at the gate. And uh, John gets Peter into the courtyard. And as they're in there, this girl says, You know what? Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, I am not. And then another person said, I'm sure that you were a follower. You're a follower of his. Are you not? No, I'm not. And a third time, somebody else says, Weren't you there in the garden with him? I was not. And Peter, Peter begins to curse and swear and, and, and say that I didn't know the man. I've never known the man. I don't know what you're talking about. May God damn me eternally if I've known this man or anything. And, and he's just so over the top. 
here in Jesus' greatest hour of need, Peter abandons him. Peter, who would stick by him, and Jesus says, you know what, Peter, you're going to, you're going to be offended because of me, and you're going to deny me before the rooster crows, and the rooster crows, and Peter realizes what he's done. And Luke gives us this, this uh, really pathetic picture that at that moment, Jesus and Peter's eyes lock. I don't know him! I don't know him! I don't know what you're talking about! And their eyes lock, and we read that Peter ran out and bitterly, bitterly wept. What a sad, sad state of affairs. Total denial runs out. All that bravado, all that bluster, he let Jesus down. He let the disciples down. He let himself down. And Jesus is hanging on a cross, dying alone for Peter. And Easter comes. And and Jesus shows himself on that Easter evening to the disciples. And you remember Thomas wasn't there, so Jesus comes back a week later on that Sunday night. Well, Thomas is there and shows himself. And they're so glad to see Jesus. They're so thrilled that Jesus is there. And then it's like we have a conclusion to John's account of this. And in John 20, in verse 30, it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And he ties together the story for us, and it seems like that's the end of the story. And here we are. It's all over. Jesus has been resurrected But the problem is this. There's unfinished business here. And we come to John 21. Because things are are, are at loose ends here. The story's ended, but we wonder what happened. What happened? These guys were all failures. What, What went on there? There's an unsettled issue. What now? Where do we go from here? There's unfinished business. What about Peter? What about the guy who was to give leadership in the establishment of the early church? What about him? What's his future after this massive, massive failure? He's a leader among the disciples. He was a leader in the church. How can a guy like that be a leader? How can you fail so badly and have any future? With Jesus. And so we come to an epilogue, if you will, to John's gospel in the 21st chapter. Jesus um, will meet them a third time for John. That third time will be he'll meet with them in Galilee. They've gone home from Jerusalem. They've made that trek about 85 miles north um, to, uh, to their home area on the, on the, uh, on the Galilee and uh, here they are. Here are these guys back home now. And Jesus will meet them there. And I'm calling this the awkward meeting. The awkward meeting. Um, they're home. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when, 
when your world has crashed and now Jesus is alive and he's made these sporadic appearances, what do you do with that? They don't know what to do with it. And so Peter says, uh, I'm going to go fishing. And being a leader, the other guys say, hey, we'll, we'll go with you. I mean, this is what he did. It wasn't wrong. Uh, he's got to do something with his time. And what they did was they, they fished at night. Um, now, I'm not a real fisherman, and I haven't done any kind of fishing really for years. But when I did a bit of fishing, fishermen, are, you know, they will, they will sacrifice to catch a fish. And they'll, I remember leaving at 3 in the morning or 3.30 in the morning to go and do early morning fishing somewhere. Fishermen are, you know, they can be a little bit crazy. And, uh, but this in their business, they understand Peter and James and John are there and Thomas and, and, and Nathaniel and a couple of other guys. They're, they're all together. And some of these guys really know what fishing is all about. And the best fishing for them was night fishing. So they went out. Peter says, I'm going fishing. They said, we're coming too. And uh, they head out. And um, it's early morning. And they were in what we call in fisherman language. They were skunked. They didn't get anything. Uh, some guys on the shore, and if you've, if you've fished, you know, you'll, you'll relate to this. Some guy on the shore calls out, hey, lads, you catch anything? Nope. If you've, if you've fished, you know what that's all about. You guys get anything over there? No, nothing. Um, and and so, so this person calls them. And uh, he says this. He, he's, a, he's about 100 meters out uh, from shore. He says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And sometimes you'd have somebody in shore. And they, they would have, uh, be able to see maybe a shoal of fish or something like that. And... Um, so, so what happens is they say, cast your, cast your net on the right side of the boat. So they, they do it. I mean, they've had a fruitless night anyway. What's one more try? So they throw the net, and it's amazing. They get the biggest haul of fish that they have ever gotten. In fact, it, it's so many that, you know, if you're a fisherman, you know about fishermen's stories. If you had the really big one, you can tell that story like it was this morning. Uh, you, you can give all the detail. And they knew the number of fish. They counted it. They were so amazed with it. It was 153 fish. Not only was it 153 fish, it was 153 big fish. In fact, they were amazed that the net didn't break. They've never had a catch like that. And, and they thought, you know, with, with that load on the net, uh, you know, this... This, uh, this net shouldn't stand up to that, but it, but it did. And, and here we are. Um, and John, who was, always seemed to be a little more perceptive than Peter, says to Peter, as they've, they've got this net full of fish, he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter goes, yeah, now it's starting to make sense. Because there was another time when they fished, when Jesus told them what to do after they'd had a fruitless night of fishing and he overwhelmed them that time and peter goes you're right and so what he does he puts on his cloak ties it up jumps out of the boat into the lake and swims with his like his tunic and his overcoat on the whole nine yards into shore about a about a hundred meters and uh you picture him coming up on shore dripping wet 
And who's there but Jesus? He's got, he's got a fire going. He's got some coals. He has fish and bread there. He's going to feed them. And, and, and Peter, Peter doesn't know quite what to make of the situation. But, but there's a lesson in here. He says, you know, here's their area of expertise is fishing. If they know anything, if they can, if they can tell Jesus, look, look, trust me on this one. I fished these waters for years. I know what I'm doing here. They get nothing. Jesus says, do this, and they get something. And there's a lesson there that harkens back just to a few days earlier when he met with them in the upper room. And he said to, he said to them, you know, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Unless you're in me, you know, you have nothing. And he said, apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. Nothing. Remember that. Even in your expertise, you can't succeed without my help. But if I can help you with that, Peter, I can help you with other things as well. And Peter... Jesus said, go get some more fish. And Peter single-handedly grabs that net. He must have been a brute. And, and he hauls it up on shore. And they sit down and they have breakfast. And this is a curious, curious statement that is made in verse 12. Where it says, now Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Does that sound weird to you? Does that, like, here they are. John says, Peter, that's the Lord. Peter jumps in. And here they are, this, this group of seven of the, of the disciples with Jesus. And I think they're a little bit sheepish. And it says, none of them asked who he was because they knew it was the Lord. And, you know, I said, this is, this is really an awkward meeting because when Peter said, you know, if all these other guys fail on you, I won't, Lord. I'll be with you right to the end. The other, the other guys agreed with Peter. It's just that Peter, being that leader, just shoots off his mouth all the time. And Peter loved comparison. Peter loved to compare. You know, I want a better position than you do. I know more than you do. I've done more than you. He was totally into that. And, and so here they are. And this curious, trying to make sense of this situation. Jesus is resurrected. They've seen him. Now, they, in John's account, this is the third time they've seen him. They don't know exactly what's going on. He's the same, but he's different. He's got a glorified body. And, and, and what does this mean? And what about them? Because they all messed up really badly, too. And all this awkwardness of the disciples, because they all blew it, too. They were happy to see Jesus, but they were tentative. Who is it? It's, well, it's the Lord. Yeah, we're not going to ask him that. We know it's the Lord, but we just, we just, things are so tentative. Peter will go on, and he will go um, on to go one-on-one with Jesus. Jesus needs to have a talk with Peter. And in, in this talk, Jesus is going to turn his attention from the disciple, all the disciples, to Peter, post-Easter, having defected, having let Jesus down. And there's a threefold exchange there. There's a question from Jesus. There's an affirmation. And there's a commission. So when they finish breakfast, 
Um, Jesus said to Simon Peter, it's interesting, it's just, just a little point. When Peter acted like his own, like his own self, his old self, Jesus called him by his old name, Simon. Jesus gave him a new name, the rock, Peter. And, and he, said, he said to him, Simon, son of John. He didn't call him Peter, the rock, because he wasn't acting very much like the rock. He was acting like old Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's been speculation about the, what the more than these is. Some think it was the fishing stuff. Here he'd gone back fishing. I don't think it was that. I think it was the other disciples who were there. And in their presence, it's kind of humiliating. Peter, I want to ask you a question. Peter, come here. Do you love me more than these? Because that's what you said. Peter, you said, if all these other guys blow out on you, I'm good, Lord. I'll die for you. I'll be, you know, them. But me, I'm there for you. Peter, do you love me more than these other guys? And Peter's response is interesting. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I didn't say I love you more. Than. He's learning some lessons in humility here. Um, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I do love you, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. This is so important. Peter's wondering, is there any place for a guy like me in God's work? I know I know, I was supposed to have this place of leadership, but I have messed up so badly. Is there any place for me left? And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Take care of my lambs. These are my, it's my church. These are my lambs. These are my sheep. Peter, I want you to take care of them. And I, I imagine Peter just... Because everybody's kind of on eggshells because they've all blown it. And, I, and I've got this feeling that Peter just goes, oh man, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad. So there's still a place for me. I, I can feed Jesus lambs. I can take care of his people. And just as he takes that breather, Jesus comes back again and says to him a second time, Simon, son of God, do you love me? Not more than these, just do you love me? And that's a little disconcerting for Peter. I mean, he just told the Lord he loved him. He says, you know I love you, Lord. And, and so a second time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And not even more than these, do you, but do you just love me? And Simon says uh, to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep. Now that would have been okay, except Jesus comes back a third time and he says to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter is grieved. Peter is, is, is upset. Uh, Peter is, is thinking like, man, What's not getting through? I, I mean, I'm being questioned. I know I blew it, but I really do love you. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. I'm going to tell you that sometimes it is such a consolation to know 
that God knows everything, that Jesus knows everything. There are times when, when my motive may be impugned, that somebody may think, well, what, what, he did that just to get pumped up himself. He did that so people would like, he did, you know, and, and, and sometimes our motives may appear to others to be false or wrong, And there's a sense in which we can say, Lord, you know all things. You understand all. You know every crevice in my mind, every thought, every motivation. Lord, you know. People may be saying something, but you know what my heart is like. And Peter could appeal to that. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus goes on. And he says to him, um, Lord, uh, he says to him, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He said, well, why did Jesus keep doing that? Why did he, you know, kind of harassing him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? How many times do I have to say I love you? Peter denied Christ three times. And so he has an opportunity to confess his love for Christ three times as well. Feed my sheep. Peter, you messed up big time. You abandoned me. You denied me. You, you ran out on me. You're broken. You're ashamed. You're wondering whether there's a place for you in the kingdom work. Peter, I want you to know, Jesus said, you are forgiven. You are restored. Peter, you're, uh, you are uh, recommissioned to serve me. Peter, you're going to do great things in my name for my kingdom. And it'll be in my strength, not in yours. And just like with the fish, Peter, you need to trust me and and you need to go with me. Let me ask you a question. Is there something in your background that is so painful for you? Something that you've never gotten by? Something you've done, something you've said, people you've hurt, and, 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 and you have struggled with that? Uh, so much. It's so painful that even the mention of a person's name or of an activity or something just causes you to feel like a knife, a dagger uh, thrust into your heart. Is there something that you are so ashamed of that you can't seem to find your way back to God? You're running from God. there's, There's shame You're having trouble forgiving yourself. You've hurt other people in the process of this. And Peter needed to be reminded that Jesus died for his sin. Died to be able to forgive him. And Jesus is willing to do that. And and, and as far as our failure is concerned, failure doesn't have to be final with us. And I want you to hear the voice of Jesus. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. I'm just, I'm so ashamed. I just, I don't even feel like I can face you. I don't feel like I can even be in your presence. And and I'm certainly sure that I have, there's no place for usefulness in me in your kingdom's work. And I want to tell you, don't let the enemy hold you in that place. You're not supposed to be there. Failure is not final. And Jesus died to be able to forgive you. And because, like Peter, there's an opportunity for him for future redemption. There's an opportunity for future redemption. Peter let Jesus down badly, 
but he was going to be able to demonstrate his love for Jesus in a very uh, particular way. In verse 18, after this uh, interaction, we, we read this. Truly, I say, Jesus says, truly I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, you used to walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then he made this editorial comment. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after that he said, follow me. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I want you to take some consolation in this. You said you'd die for me, but you ran out on me. But Peter, you're going to have an opportunity to redeem yourself. Peter, you're going to have an opportunity to show how much you love me. And here's what's going to happen. When you were young, you did what you want. You went where you want, when you want, as you wanted. But as you get older, um, somebody else is going to address you. Somebody else is going to take you where you don't want to go. Um, and, and he said uh, to him in this, you'll stretch out your hands. And he was prophesying the kind of death that Peter would glorify Jesus. And that is Peter himself would be crucified. In fact, what uh, the early church tradition has handed down to us all these years, that when Peter died, and he was to die by crucifixion in Rome, that what happened was he felt unworthy to die as Jesus did. And he said, hang me upside down. Peter, you're going to have a chance to show your love for me, to show your dedication to me. And Peter would walk the path of Jesus faithfully. And Jesus had said to his disciples, as we looked at a few weeks ago, when, if you follow me, some people are not going to like you because you represent me. And because they hate me, they will hate you also. And Peter would go on and faithfully lead the church. He'd stand up for Jesus before the council. He'd be beaten and threatened and imprisoned. Uh, he would write First and Second Peter, two letters. And in First Peter particularly, we see him encouraging the church to hang in there under persecution and suffering and to be faithful to God. Peter would go on to do everything that God wanted him to do and, and suffer ultimately for him and to die. And... and Peter, old Peter kind of peeks through here for a minute and he turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we believe to be John, the one who was, uh, leaned back against him at the supper and said, Lord, um, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, Peter, don't worry about him. If I want him to stay alive until I come again, that, that's no business of yours. And so this rumor started that John... Uh, would be alive till Jesus came. He said, I didn't say that. He said, I just said, if I want him to. Peter, this isn't, this isn't your deal now. And he reiterates in the end, Peter, what you need to do is follow me. Follow me. There's a call to follow him. Follow me. Two times he says that. Let's go, Peter. It's time. Just follow me. Don't worry about the others. Don't obsess on the past. Let's move forward and follow me. 
Jesus is so gracious with his fallen children. He's merciful. He's the God of of the second and third and fourth and fifth chance. And you may be saying, I just can't come back to God because I've blown it so many times that I want to say, you don't understand who he is. He's a God of compassion. He's a God who's willing to forgive you. And his grace is greater than your sin. And he welcomes home his prodigal children. And he can restore your life. And he can bring you back to usefulness again. And the failure in your life doesn't have to be final. You can come back to him. You can hear him calling you afresh. Come and follow me. Let me ask you, if that's you, are you sick of the guilt? Are you sick of the shame that you are dealing with in your life? You've been running from God. You know you're running from God. And, and that's our default when we, when we sin. We should run to God. But as in the garden, Adam and Eve ran from God and hid from God. And God came looking for them. Are you sick of running from God? Are you sick of a lack of peace in your life? A lack of feeling good about yourself because you know you have failed so miserably? I want to say to you, come home. Come home. A pastor and a Christian leader and author who has been very instrument, uh, very influential through his ministry. Um, uh, and I've read a number of his books. Uh, has been extremely helpful to me. Uh, Gordon MacDonald wrote the book. Um, Ordering Your Private World. I remember reading that in college. It was an excellent book. What I found out afterwards that he was actually having an affair with his administrative assistant at the time that he was writing the book. And he got found out. And he lost uh, his dignity. He lost his reputation, his employment, his self-respect. And there were a group of three senior Christian leaders that came alongside of Gordon MacDonald in those difficult days and uh, to mentor him and seek to restore him and uh, help him to come back to a place of usefulness again. And uh, he submitted himself. He humbled himself and submitted himself to these leaders. And they would fly and get together uh, once a month, and they had a whole regiment of things for him to go through, and they stood with him and supported him. He would go on to have a phenomenal ministry. He, he wrote books like Rebuilding Your Broken World, Restoring Your Spiritual pa- Passion, The Resilient Life, Building Below the Water Line, The Life God Blesses. And he understood something that we need to understand that failure doesn't have to be final. And you can blow it, but there's a place of forgiveness and restoration, and God can bring you to a place of fruitfulness as well. And that's my prayer for you. If that's you, and you're here, and you're saying, you know what? Nobody would know about it, but as I sit here, and I, I, I look so good, and everything looks good on the outside, and I'm dying on the inside, and I want to tell you, don't stay there. Peter needed to go one-on-one with Jesus and to find out that though he blew it so badly, there was a way back for him, that failure is not final, 
and that his grace is able to restore anybody. Let's pray. Our Father, some of us here might need to hear these words. Some of us, like Peter, who have blown it and don't know how we're going to face the Lord, and it's that awkward meeting where we stand undressed before him and he can see every, every nook and cranny in our mind and everything that we've done and thought. And we're ashamed. And we want to run. And yet Jesus went to meet Peter, to restore Peter. Father, I pray that you would help us. If there may be some people here that are there in their life and they have been running from you, Lord, I pray by your Spirit that you would convict them of your, not only your high and lofty standard and and their position before you, but I pray, Father, that you'd help them to understand that you are a merciful God, a compassionate God, a God who wants to restore and a God who wants to take that which seems so final and, and so uh, that God is so done with them to realize that there is a future. Spirit of God, would you work in hearts and lives of people who need to hear that? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.